He's from the hard-hitting world of ice hockey. She's from the red carpets of Tinseltown. Together, they are two of the leading executive producers in Hollywood. Responsible for mega hits like Hoosiers, Sudden Death, and the Oscar-winning Ray. A true sports and entertainment power couple. Meet Karen and Howard Baldwin. This is Pucks and Paparazzi with your host, Stephen Maggi. Howard Baldwin has owned teams in the National Hockey League and World Hockey Association. Karen Baldwin has been an actor and TV reporter. This is a real dynamic duo. Now, let's drop the puck and turn the lights. Here is the host of Pucks and Paparazzi, Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Pucks and Paparazzi, and today we're talking again about defunct leads. We talk a lot about defunct leads because Howard and Karen have been involved in some. Of course, the World Hockey Association, World Football League, but also the American Basketball Association. That's what we're going to focus on today because the ABA is also that whole history which I think works perfectly, is going to go in with a series they're developing called Rebel League. And boy, this just sounds like something you really want to see if you think of Mad Men and what Mad Men was able to accomplish with the world of advertising. I think this series could do the same thing for the ABA. The ABA was a great league because it really mirrored what was going on in the country at the time. What initially attracted us was we still have a friendship with Gary Davidson and Dennis Murphy. And right at the advent of 2000, Sports Illustrated did the 25 most influential people in the sports world for the for the 20th, 20, what would it be, the 20th century, I was going to be, but you know, from yeah. 1900 to 2000, okay? And Gary was one of the 25. And you stop and think about the fact that Gary Davidson and Dennis started the ABA segued into the WHA and then Gary into the WFL. And these three leagues started by the same two people changed professional sports forever in that six to eight year time span. And a lot of people don't realize that it changed the whole sports landscape forever. And it abolished the reserve clause that opened up new markets, that opened up new player opportunities. So that's what initially had our interest. And then we knew we wanted to start with the ABA. And then I'll turn this over to Karen because she can then pick up kind of where you were at, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I think the this time period and what was going on with the ABA is the perfect mirror of what was going on in society. People were finally sort of changing, challenging uh, the authority for the first time. Um, so that these rebel leagues, the non-established leagues, were really taking the attitude, look, okay, there's already an established league, but that, that means there's still room for others. And let's try this. Let's be bold. Let's be rebellious. Let's start our own league. Let's have our own rules, um, especially the ABA. I mean, they had the, the three-point shot. They had, you know, the dunk. I mean, it, Everything that people now sort of really enjoy about basketball, a lot of that originated with the ABA as a way of just saying, look, we can break the rules here a little and have a little more fun and be a little more fan friendly. And I think it also is interesting in that this time period we were at war, there were women's rights, there were, you know, that had all kinds of 
you know, racial tension in this country. Um, and I think that all of that really spoke to uh, a country that was growing and changing and coming into its adolescence, if you will. And I think that the league was, was a really cool reflection of, of all of those things happening in society. So, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very interesting combination of the fun and hilarity of a new league in sports, but also mirroring what was going on in this country at that period of time, which was a volatile time. Yeah, nonconformity seems to be the big key of that. And if you think about the ABA, the basketball looked different. I mean, a red, white, and blue ball seemed outrageous at the time, but every kid I knew wanted it. And like you say, too... It didn't seem to have as much in the way of hard rules, you know, of the of the old fashioned conservative leagues, you know, and, and that's kind of the fun thing about the ABA is you could get a Dr. J or some of the other players that were really fantastic that came out of that league. And I think the birth of television also, um, if you look at, at television and sports, you know, at this time period, 60s to 70s, that was really all of a sudden the boom time where everybody had a television. And people were watching television, and suddenly sports became good programming. Yeah, and this fit great for color TV, if you think about it, because with the ball and so forth. And these teams were fun, you know, and they were from cities that hadn't had basketball before. And uh, I, I, was the biggest problem they had the same issue that we have talked about in the past, where they weren't financed as well? Or, uh, you know, was it just a thing where getting through the NBA, and of course some teams did manage to, to uh, weed their way in, but again, it's tough going up against an established league. Of course it is, and therein lies where all the problems existed, because you always have the great American dream getting into the league, and the cost of getting into the league. Well, we got into the WHA for $25,000 and $10,000 league due. Now, at the time, that was a little more serious, but you know what I mean. That's not a lot of, that's not a huge sum of money. Now you're in the door. Now you're in the club. Now you have to operate. And in operating, nobody knew what what was going to happen. As you well said, the NHL were an established league, the NBA an established league. And they weren't going to just roll over and say, sure, take our players. Nuh-uh. It was a very competitive, competitive landscape for players. And so the salaries didn't go up just five, six. They went up to almost 150, 200 percent. In many cases, even more than that. So you had your cost of operating went up leaps and bounds. When you mentioned Gary Davidson and Dennis Murphy, I think it's really interesting because if you think about it, they both kind of had chips on their shoulders. I mean, Gary was a really good-looking guy, but he's you know five foot two, and you know he, he was bullied. And then Dennis was a guy that felt like he was being ignored. Do you think their drive kind of helped get the league started? And really, when you look at it objectively years later, what they were able to accomplish in all those leagues, but particularly in the ABA and in the WHA, is quite is fascinating because they're up against what we just talked about, a well-established leagues with, with very rich owners. They got all the TV contracts and that kind of thing. It's a tough uphill battle. No question. Just to be clear, one thing, because Gary's alive and well, and we still see him. He wasn't five foot two. He's about five foot ten. <laughs> Dennis was small, and and they were a complete contradiction to each other. Gary was an incredibly charismatic guy. If you were casting a movie today, which we will be doing, 
you'd be looking for a young Robert Redford. I mean, he really, Karen will back me up on this. He still looks great. Dennis was more of, you know, a roly-poly, very outgoing Irishman. Salesman. Just a consummate salesman. And and the two of them worked great together. And I don't want to quite call it a yin and yang, but I think you get the drift. And and they had to do it. They had to juggle the room. They had to manage the room where all the owners were and and sometimes maybe stretch what was really happening uh, to keep it going. But they did. It was kind of a little like the all the president's men where you're watching Bernstein and Woodward working together, different types, but they work great as as team. And, and I guess drive is really the thing. I mean, just to take on not just one, but three huge leagues, you're going to be in for a fight, and you got to know it before you even try. Yeah, no question. I mean, they, I mean, the ABA, Gary, was really only in it the first year. And what happens with leagues then, because starting a new league now is almost impossible, but starting a league then, what happens is you create the league, and you, you get your 12, in the case of the WHA and the ABA, 12 new owners, And once they're in the league and around that boardroom table, the power shifts from the commissioner. The power shifts to um, the hands of the founders to the 12 member teams, the owners around the room. So then everything shifts. And that's what happened in all three leagues. And that must be tough, right? Because now all of a sudden you have these different personalities in there all have their own self-interest, it's a little different. You know, a commissioner can look at what's best for the league. While it's always smart because if you don't have a good league, you're not going to survive, but there's just human nature that makes you want to do what's best for you. Yes, and there's, there's that natural competition that sort of is, is part and parcel of owning a sports team and that, sure, you're friendly with the other sports owners, but at the end of the day, you're a lot happier if your team wins the game over theirs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I always joke, Steve, that a league is a partnership designed to all get along until you leave the room that you're all in. <laughs> then you're it's doggy dog, and it's it, it's amazing because you sit in that room and you're always solving problems mutually at a league level. But then when you go out, you're trying to figure out how do I beat this system? Same thing with salary cap. I mean, these guys all know this salary cap, and you make it as tight and as good as you can. And what's so incredible, then they go out and say, well, how can I circumvent that? What can I do? Can I get a little, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I remember Al Davis I, actually sitting with him at a dinner one time, and I asked him about that thing with the partners, and he laughed. He goes, you know, what partners? And I'm my partners, you know? We're stuck in this group together, but I want to beat them all, you know? And, and it's funny because he said the exact same thing about salaries and so forth. He goes... I don't care if people circumvent it. I just want to make sure that I can circumvent it as well. So it's kind of interesting. Exactly right. We've met the enemy, and it's us. Karen, talk about what this looks like on the screen. I mean, 1968, to me, this is the perfect scenario for great drama. But but kind of explain what you're going to do. With the ABA, you can have some fun, too. Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the appeal of this time period, young people find this time period fascinating. Um, the music of this era, um, the hairstyles, the clothing, everything about it um, was kind of unique. And I think also, you know, remember, it was the first it was the first 
decade in which, you know, we went to the moon for the first time. I mean, things were so ripe with possibility. Um, and I think that that's reflected in the, the trends of society at the time, you know. And all of those things, I think, will help inform the viewer while we're having fun watching what went down during the ABA. It also informs the viewer of what was going on in this country at large. Um, and really the influence that, that the time period had on this country. Again, I, I liken it to us in our, this country in its teenage years, you know, no longer, no longer a child sort of in that awkward phase of, okay, what, what is the kind of country we want to become? Well, I think the ABA is a great vehicle to show that because uh, it was right in the heart mm-hmm. of that thing. Talk about some of the cast members that we can look for, you know, characters uh, in this series. It, it's loosely, you know, loosely based um, on actual, you know, facts. Um, some of the characters are based on real characters. Gary Davidson and Dennis Murphy, um, we have their rights and they've been involved, you know, in, in, in creating the show. Um, there is a female character, an African-American secretary, who was uh, the first assistant to Gary and to Dennis. And she's loosely based on, on a real woman who was um, their assistant. Um, and then a lot of the players are sort of composite. You know, this is mostly, mostly stuff that goes on in the front office and in the locker room and sort of behind closed doors as opposed to watching a show with a lot of basketball, although there'll be, there'll be some basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not a show about basketball in the same way that Mad Men was not a show about advertising. It was in the backdrop, uh, and it served as the backdrop. And we think that, you know, this can be a cool backdrop for a show dealing with a lot of personal issues and, and at the same time, the hilarity of the situation. I mean, you can't make up some of this stuff. It's so funny, you know, um, and we would we, we'd be very remiss to try to do better than the actual fact, you know. And um, I think that's part of na- navigating this kind of historical subject matter is you want to make sure you are um, you're being true to it and not taking so much liberties that you lose the, the flavor of it. Um, that's been the biggest challenge, and that all comes within with the writing room, and we have an amazing group of people working on it. Devon Shepard is our writer-showrunner. We have Doug Ellen involved, who did Entourage, Barry Safchek, and Mike Platt, who uh, wrote Grace and Frankie, uh, a woman named Allison Faust, who's just a terrific writer. And, and it's a very diverse writing room, and I think that that will serve this well because everybody has their own point of view they're bringing to the table. Give me a little inside baseball. I think of that great room of writers you have. Is there like an ABA historian or at least somebody that goes in there and kind of tells them, now wait, you know, this is what happened here and kind of, and so they they know the clay that they're going to mold. Absolutely. There's a tremendous amount of research done. Um, And we actually, you know, paid for quite a bit of research, calling all of the articles and and everything you can think of from that time period. And then we do have the benefit, I mean, not to sound corny, but we have a guy in Howard who actually lived through it as well, <laughs> who can say to us, no, this is what the meeting was like. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, it's hard to believe because, unfortunately, I remember the ABA. So it tells you, you know, you've been around a while. But, uh, boy, what a great what, – what a great – thing to bring to people i just think it's a fascinating time and what a and what a great way to show it yeah we're, we're really we're very very excited about it i think there's you know a whole opportunity these 
these great old logos from these old teams are very hip and cool, and we're hoping to sort of reintroduce those to, to the population, and hopefully maybe, you know, people watching the show will want T-shirts and that kind of stuff, um, because they were, they were really fun, iconic images from the time, you know? And, you know, it's interesting, because if you think about today's NBA, really what the ABA was doing there was actually closer to what they're playing now today than the old NBA was. Absolutely right. They introduced a style and new rules that only made the game better. And the same in hockey. Well, you know, WHA had the overtime and, and uh, certain other um, rules, no red line. I mean, they, there's things that these leagues did to challenge the establishment that made the whole sport better. If you look at it historically, even going back to the AFL and the AAFC and so forth, by forcing the league to make some changes, it really does improve the game. No question. And what's interesting is the sport that's had the biggest problems is the sport that really hasn't had a threat from another league, and they have an antitrust exemption. Yeah, that's, that's a very baseball. good point. Yeah, that's a very good sure. point. Yeah, you have an establishment there that, quite frankly, was arrogant. And they yeah. said, well, 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 you know. And so instead of trying to be proactive, solve some of their labor issues, everything was forced on them. When they were in the best position of all to get through these years without a lot of pain and suffering, if you get what I mean. But they just, you know, they figured, well, we're, we're who we are. And, and there have they, whereas the NBA and, and the hockey and the football, they said, let's open up here and let's listen and let's make it better. Let's not have it forced on us. Let's be proactive. And they're not always perfect, these other leagues, but they, they do a damn good job at trying to be perfect. Yeah, and I think you make a great point that – because at one time, baseball was truly America's pastime, and they that arrogance, as you say, has allowed them to watch football certainly bigger, but basketball and hockey now are uh, are going up while you see baseball really struggling just to stay at the same level. Last question for both of you, Rebel League, we can't wait to see it. I tell you, it, it just, uh, as a treatment, I... I have read very little that I've been more excited about to see. You got combining sports with this great historical time. What's the rollout uh, as of right now? What we're doing now is we have a wonderful presentation, pitch documents. We have a wonderful creative team assembled. And now we start to go out and sell it. And that's exactly what we're doing. And that's always the most important part, right? I mean, with any of these projects, you got to get people on board. It's an interesting process, too, this year because of COVID. Um, usually these pitches are done in person. Mm-hmm. You come in with a writing team and you make your presentation and it's, you know, it's in a room. It's very interactive. Um, this year it's all done by Zoom. And, and thank God for Zoom <laughs> <laughs> um, because at least you can then see the person and that kind of thing. But it's, it's a very different uh there was a real learning curve and there's a bit of awkwardness to zoom that obviously there isn't when you're in a room live with someone. Um, so that's been an interesting challenge, but with zoom, you're also able to, um, on the zoom call flash pictures of the time period or particular actors that you think might be good for certain roles. And so it becomes much more of a visual presentation, which, which I think is actually a good thing. Well, and do you find, I mean, you guys are really good at this, obviously, but 
it's one thing to think this up, but then when you start putting visuals there, you really can take people to the next step because we can tell them all about the basketball and the the wild hair and so forth, but there's nothing like seeing it to really sell it. Part of this presentation is a really cool sizzle reel that shows clips from that time period and, and how the game was played on the court. And, you know, it, it, sizzle reels are usually maybe three to five minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way, it's like a snapshot of, okay, this is sort of the tone and feel of the show. So that's been an interesting process to put that kind of stuff together, too. Well, we'll keep an eye out for Rebel League, and we'll keep an eye out for Pucks and Paparazzi again next week. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. Love being with you. On the next episode of Pucks and Paparazzi, Howard and Karen Baldwin remember buying a famous hockey team in Russia. They'll take us behind the scenes after the fall of the Soviet Union and tell us how they marketed hockey in a completely unique situation. That experience is captured in the wonderful film Red Penguins. That's next time on Pucks and Paparazzi. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Maggi. You've been listening to Pucks and Paparazzi. Join us next time for a fun, unique look at the worlds of sports and entertainment. Thanks for listening.